Last week we uh, looked at the beginning of a sermon that uh, Jesus started preaching. It's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, and we'll uh, look at a continuation of it today in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. It's found on, found on page 1601, 1601 in uh, the Pew Bibles. As we prepare to hear God's Word, let's pray together. Loving God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may truly understand and in understanding that we may come to believe and then in believing that we would be able to follow you even in the most difficult of paths to follow you with faithfulness and obedience to seek your honor, your glory, in everything that we do. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. 6, verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. Because He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Fiorello LaGuardia was mayor of New York City during the Depression. He loved to be with people. He rode with firefighters. He went on raids with the police. Uh, One story claims that LaGuardia even dismissed the presiding court judge on a bitterly cold night and sat on the bench himself. A tattered woman was brought before him, accused of stealing a loaf of bread. She explained her plight. Her daughter's husband had run off, her daughter was sick, and her grandchildren were hungry. But the shop owner refused to drop charges. He explained that his store was in a a bad neighborhood and she should be punished in order to teach everyone in the neighborhood a lesson. Well, LaGuardia explained to the woman that she must be punished, $10 or 10 days in jail. And as he said this, LaGuardia reached into his pocket, took out $10 and tossed it into his hat, paid the $10 fine for her. Then the mayor did a curious thing. He commanded the bailiff to pass the hat around the room and everyone there was fined for living in a town where a grandmother had to steal bread for her grandchildren. And so she walked out of the courtroom 47-some dollars richer. Maybe LaGuardia went to the Jesus school of law. Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. 
Our world demands justice. The world is not always the way it's supposed to be. People get used and abused. Sin victimizes. And there's this longing in us that wants things right. We want the scales of justice balanced. The Bible points us toward justice as well. The theme of justice permeates the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we read of sin making life wrong and how God steps in to set things right. That's justice in its simplest form. Justice gives each person what they have coming. Justice is concerned with making life fair. We have this innate sense and desire for fairness. I mean, look at children. They have great fairness detectors. Try to give your child more or less than what they believe that they deserve, and they will cry. That's not fair. We cry unfair when someone tries to take advantage of the system for their profit. We demand justice when the poor or disabled or young are abused or mistreated. And our desire for justice makes sense. Our God is a God of justice. So as His image bearers, we want justice too. A Christian Reformed Church report on justice noted, the root of our sense of justice comes from our Creator. Our sense of justice reflects the character of our God. Our sense for fairness in the world comes from God. God's character is profoundly interested in justice. Over and over again in the Bible, we get a sense of God's just character. Here's one verse. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. This short verse gives us words to describe God's justice. Right, true, faithful, righteous, just. God builds this demand for justice into His creation. The world is meant to be God's arena of shalom. Each created being is meant to live in right relationship with God and with every other part of creation. The bottom line is, God wants the world to be set right. When a person is victimized, it's an offense against God. God wants humans to show kindness to each other. God will not pass over wrongs. God does not wink at human misbehavior. God condemns murder, rape, lying, greed, lust, and the like. God's desire for justice means that God will punish the wrongdoer and protect the victim. God established governments to uphold justice. Presidents and legislators and courts are God's tool to bring justice to the earth on God's behalf. They're meant to be instruments of restoration, part of God's plans to do whatever it takes to make everything right again. Our world demands justice. God demands justice. The world is meant to be God's arena of shalom. Shalom, life as it's supposed to be. Life as God created it. Good. And God's justice seeks to restore this brokenness. Where people have been victims, God restores relationships. God's justice restores shalom wherever sin breaks it. So there's no surprise to us. God pursues justice to restore to restore relationships, to restore the whole creation. The surprise is, God restores through mercy. 
God exercises justice, restores his people through the grace of Jesus Christ's death for us. In Christ, we get what we don't deserve. Our sin demands death, but Christ dies for us. God's justice is laced with mercy. In Luke 6, Jesus presents us with a kingdom that's absurdly generous. His instructions to his disciples betray God's heart. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's a one-line summary of God's call to righteousness, the trademark of Christ's followers. And it's simple, really. Think of the best thing you could do for the worst person and go do it. Think of what you would like someone to do to you. Do it for them. Instead of hating those who are nasty to you, lavish generosity on them. Christians are to be known for this because that's what God is like. God is generous to all. God provides goodness, good things for all to enjoy. God is astonishingly merciful. Jesus came to earth powered by this active and positive force of God's love. And he shows us a God whose spirit is light, whose presence is grace. Jesus shows us a God of mercy. A mercy extended to the most troubled neighbors. Jesus lived as he called his disciples to live. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies. Just consider one story in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was passing through Jericho one day. The crowds were huge. And a pint-sized tax collector wanted to see Jesus. Now, there was no way that the crowd would allow this corrupt man a front-row seat. He belonged on the fringes of the crowd. He probably belonged about ten rows back from watching the, the, uh, the, the parade, the Ammon Blossom Parade. Because he had victimized the whole town. He had extorted them, Zacchaeus had. He had cheated them wherever he could. He may have lived in the town of Jericho, but he was despised. And so when Jesus came to town, Zacchaeus had to climb a tree just to see him. But here's the irony. Jesus made sure he was seen. He walked right up to Zacchaeus. Jesus brought Zacchaeus face to face with God's mercy. Jesus' mercy-laced justice restored Zacchaeus into relationship with God. And restored him into relationship with all the villagers. Jesus wasn't some chump being taken for a ride by Zacchaeus. He, he didn't come as some kind of a doormat so that Zacchaeus got his way. No. Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus. And his love transformed Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus repaid all of his victims. He gave half of his goods to the poor. God, in mercy, forgives to restore relationship. God restores people, even the worst sinners, into community. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Lenny was a high school student who suddenly jumped into crime. He'd sneak into houses in his neighborhood and he'd vandalize them. He'd pour paint on the carpets, smash china, slash paintings, destroy furniture. Anything that he could get on his hands on, he would demolish. 
And when Lenny's case came to the judge, the judge decided to teach him a lesson that he would never forget. First, the judge sought to know Lenny. He wanted to discover what Lenny's story was, and this is what Lenny's story was like. One day, Lenny came home from school to find his dad dead. He'd shot himself in the head in Lenny's bedroom. The stain was still visible on the wall. Lenny couldn't handle it. And he unleashed his anger and pain by vandalizing all the homes in his neighborhood. Now, the judge couldn't ignore Lenny's crimes. And he did want to deal with Lenny's problems. And so he pursued the way of restoration. He wanted Shalom to enter Lenny's life. So the judge set up a program. Lenny would go and mow lawns, and then he would use his earnings to pay back the victims for all the damage that he had done. And Lenny met with each family whose home that he had damaged. And he listened to their anger, heard what they had to say, and then he apologized for his crimes. And the judge wrote to Lenny every two weeks to encourage him. And yeah, Lenny used the letters of encouragement to paper over the blood-stained wall in his bedroom. And slowly, Shalom returned to Lenny's life, to the victims, to his neighborhood. See, this judge pursued justice, clothed in mercy, to restore Lenny's life. That's our God. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is merciful. God deals with our sin. God in Christ took our sin and offered us shalom. Martin Luther, the Reformation theologian, said, The Son of God stands in our place and has taken all our sins on His shoulders. He is the eternal satisfaction for our sin and reconciles us with God the Father reconciles us to the Father, restores our relationship to God, and restores us in God's community. Jesus was condemned in our place to bring us back to God's shalom. God's justice is shown to us in Jesus' death on the cross. God's justice comes to restore us through mercy. There is then no better way for us to live but to love. To coin the phrase, what the world needs now is love. Sweet love. Not just to love those who love you. No, Jesus directs our attention to the most unheard of object of our love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In our love your friends, hate your enemy world, Jesus turned everything on its head. Love your enemies. Jesus calls us to this unlimited love. See, experts in the law in Jesus' day would often debate the definition of who was my neighbor. They would argue that we were obligated to love our neighbors, but there was no such obligation for non-neighbors. And Jesus simply throws that notion out. As one commentator notes, Jesus' command to love one's enemies underscores his understanding of who the neighbor is. For by any normal definition, the enemy is the non-neighbor. 
Thus, Jesus turns the ordinary categories and normal definitions upside down. Jesus makes explicit what God always intended. Love for neighbor means love for anyone. Anyone. Unlimited. Neighbor's not an exclusive term in the Old or New Testament. It means the person that I encounter right now. The person who's standing in front of me right now. Your neighbor's the person who is your concern at this very moment. The person who works with you or goes to school with you. Could be your son or daughter. The undocumented refugee who lives and works in your community. Neighbor could be anyone. Even our enemy. Anyone that we might have difficult relations with. Love your enemies, says Jesus. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say like your enemies. Love for enemies doesn't mean you have good feelings about your enemies. I mean, the love that Jesus calls us to is more than just emotion. And Jesus doesn't command us to fall in love with our enemies. We don't have to become BFFs with our enemies. No, he calls us to an action. Not an attitude. See, the word Jesus uses for love may be well known to to some of you. It's the word agape. Greek uses a few different words where we have only one word for love. There's storge, the word for love of family, love for those who share your blood and your roof. But Jesus doesn't say storge your enemies. And there's eros, the word for love of beauty, a love intoxicated by the object of its affection. But Jesus doesn't say eros, your enemies. And there's philia, the love of mutual respect, the love of friends, those who share something in common. But he doesn't say philia, your enemies. Jesus chooses his word carefully. Jesus says agape, your enemies. Agape is the love of decision. Agape isn't generated by the object, but love is generated by the decision of the lover. The one who loves wills to love. Agape decides to act towards this person in front of me in a way that seeks what's best for them. That's what Jesus commands. Agape. The decision to make. A decision to love. To love your enemy means you respond to their hatred by willing their good. You love the enemy with the kind of unlimited love with which God loves us. Jesus calls us to love the person we're inclined to hate. Not excuse them. Not excuse them because they've had some troubled past. No, just to love them. To love the people who've betrayed you. Love the people who enrage you. Love the people who hurt you. Love the people who don't like you. Love the drunk drivers who kill. Love the people who spread rumors to destroy your reputation. Love the rapists. Love the murderers. Yvonne Pointer had struggled hard in her life. She dropped out of school and was pregnant by the time she was 16. And her life was spent getting high. And then by God's grace, she came to believe in Jesus. God's forgiveness touched her life and it changed her remarkably. 
And about 10 years later, Yvonne's 14-year-old daughter, Gloria, was on her way to school in the middle of a snowstorm because she was going to receive an award at school. There was no way she was going to miss school, so she went through this snowstorm to make it. And she never made it. She was abducted, raped, and murdered. And Yvonne just simply could not fathom how something like that could happen to a Christian. Her church rallied around her. Slowly a new sense of direction emerged for Yvonne. At first she said it was about all the injustice done to my child. But then she realized that other families faced similar circumstances. And she began to work tirelessly for children's safety. She even spoke in prisons to rapists and murderers, sharing God's love with inmates. Yvonne said this, I found hatred too heavy a load to carry. Would I want the person who murdered Gloria over for Sunday dinner? No. But if I didn't forgive him, unforgiveness would kill me too. Forgiveness releases you to live. This is the message, she said. This is the message we need to take to the world. That God loves us. Jesus gives examples of what it means to put this love into action. And each example shows a willingness not to defend my personal rights, but to accept insult, abuse, loss, for Christ's sake and for the sake of showing love, even to our enemy. What makes Christians distinctive, salty, different, and useful in the meat of the world is they're breaking the world's law of love for love, good to good, evil to evil reciprocity, and their love for the undeserving, the unloving, and even the positively hostile. Christ followers turn the other cheek when someone gives us the back of their hand across our cheek. When we're insulted or we're rebuked, Christ's love moves us to be patient and vulnerable. Christ followers give even when they're stolen from. If someone takes your outer cloak, says Luke, give them your shirt as well. Let your nakedness show the extent of your love. Even to the point of excess, give to anyone who asks. Be extravagant in your love, says Luke. Even if someone borrows something from you and never gives it back, don't demand it back. In some, says Jesus, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I mean, this unlimited love that Jesus is calling us to is excessive. But it is God's way. One way we can show our love for God is by loving and caring about the things that are of concern to God. And Luke is clear. God is concerned with ungrateful and wicked people. Just look at us. Jesus points us to the indiscriminate character of God's love. Be merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. That mercy involves not judging. We may discriminate between morally good or evil actions, but we don't prejudge or predetermine who should receive our kindness. Mercy calls for forgiveness and generosity. God pours out lavish gifts even on the ungrateful and wicked. Well, we are to do the same as Christ followers. We don't expect repayment. We give generously to whoever is in need. 
Luke says, think of the generous grain merchant in the marketplace. That's the kind of generous giver God is. He fills up the measure to the full. And then God presses it down, shakes it together so that it will make even more room, and then he fills it to overflowing. God's like one of those ice cream servers who takes a small cone, puts on two huge scoops of ice cream that you can't even begin to keep up with as you begin licking at it. It's dripping down the side of the cone, and it's dripping down your hand, and it's dripping down your whole arm. That's God's love for us. Overflowing without any consideration of the consequences. God pours out his immeasurable love on our lives so that we will love others. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. Do to others as you would want to be treated. That's God's way of bringing justice. Even loving enemies. Someone takes advantage of you? Love. Someone's ungrateful? Love. Someone treats you badly? Love. God's way is to restore shalom through love. God wants to enlighten the nations through our acts of overflowing, unlimited love, flowing down, dripping all over the place. Let's pray. God of amazing love. We can't even begin to fathom just the extent of your love for us. How much you welcome us, forgive us. How much of the the junk of our lives you overlook because you want to welcome us into Jesus Christ. God of amazing love. Indiscriminate, overflowing unbelievable love. Would you make us lovers like you? Would you move in us by your Spirit so that we could love as you love? Even our enemies? even the ungrateful, even the wicked. Would you move in us by your Spirit? Because we do want that shalom, that all is right in the world feeling, that all is right in the world situation. We want that. In Jesus' name, amen.